Hey, thanks for joining me. This is just another Sunday chat, and I'm going to um, have an update about uh, some of the things that are going on with um, my Afghan friends in Pakistan at the end. But I wanted to, um, as I was thinking this week about, you know, just some of the things that have been going on, um, kind of the topic of this whole saga of the week has really been about um, our ideas about individualism, especially here in the U.S. and our own stuff. And what I mean by that is, um, and it's actually tied into the Bible study that I just did in my at church, but um, a lot of times we get really focused on our own stuff and we think that it's the right stuff and what we're actually supposed to be doing. And just as an example of this, a few weeks ago, I ran into this lady at my church and she was just talking about Mexico and certain things. And at that time I had one of our members in the, um, in Pakistan had a cousin that had, uh, gone to Brazil and then went up, you know, through South America and had just crossed into Mexico and was trying to, was contacting me to get help. So first of all, I've told them multiple times, I know nothing about immigration. And so um, they're contacting me and they want help. And I said, well, you know, I am not an expert on immigration, but I'm, they're thinking that they can just go to California and they'll be put in jail for a couple of days and be released into the U.S. And I said, I, I really don't know about it, much about immigration, but I'm pretty positive that's not the way it works. And you need to talk to an attorney before you present yourself at the border for asylum. Because another thing that uh, a lot of us seem to have forgotten in the U.S. is that um, international law uh, that most civilized countries subscribe to um, you are required to provide asylum to people in need. So everyone should, anybody who actually is in need should have the right to, to claim asylum and have their case heard. Um, Pakistan is a third world country. They do not, uh, they do not abide by international law. That's part of the reason that we have such a problem with our African Christians in Pakistan, because they're under constant threat of being deported because most of them, they don't have valid visas. They've all expired. But we in the United States are supposed to be a major power, first world country. And um, we seem to have forgotten that that is, you know, a human right to be able to uh, present yourself for protection if you're in need. And there have been, uh, there was a case in there had just been a case right before he sent me a message. This cousin sent me a message about another Afghan um, asylum seeker who had presented himself at the border, the border agents, he went to Texas and the border agents refused to allow him to uh, petition for asylum, took his stuff and arrested him. And he's still, as far as I know, he's still sitting in jail. So I told him he need to talk to an attorney first. And I was trying to find different resources for him down in Mexico. And, you know, I don't, I'm not familiar with the area. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on down there, but I was just Googling and trying to find different resources for him because I was sure that there must be organizations in place, you know, because it's not like 
he's the only one that is seeking asylum there. You know, that's the main topic of conversation in the United States. And um, so, and the other thing too, is like, he doesn't have like actual cell co coverage. I mean, so he has to connect to the internet with, you know, on Wi-Fi somewhere. And so you can't just give him a phone number to call either. It has to be an organization that has WhatsApp so that they can contact them. So anyway, so this is what I was looking for at the time. So I run into this person at my church. We're just talking. I'm like, oh, wow. You know, this is like an awesome opportunity. This is what she had said was her family was originally from Mexico and they had, they were dual citizens and they had um, an organization or a nonprofit in Mexico that was, you know, helping, you know, teaching kids and just like training up leaders and everything. And her dad's been a missionary there for 30 years. And I was like, great. Awesome. I said, can I talk to your, can I talk to your dad? Because, you know, I was thinking, uh, keep in mind, I wasn't asking them to help, to help this person. I was just wanted to talk to him to see, because I was sure that he must know, you know, if they've been doing missions work in Mexico for 30 years, they must have know what organizations are there in place and she wouldn't she wouldn't give me her dad's contact information and she's like well you know we that's not really what we do she's like we just um you know we we train and educate and we build leaders and and uh you know they're not allowed to they're it's actually legal to help um immigrants coming through she's like well they will but they're not supposed to and i'm just looking at her if she, she's saying this i'm thinking are you kidding me i mean you won't even talk to let me talk to your dad to like again I wasn't asking them to actually help I was just asking if I could talk to him about you know what organizations were there and she went and so anyway her she's like as she left she was like well I pray for him I'm thinking okay great thank you thank you for those prayers yeah please pray for him that he will uh, encounter somebody that can will actually help him rather than just like talk about oh well it's not my thing so you know they wouldn't she wouldn't even give me any contacts for people who organizations who are there where it is their thing and i think that's just kind of an example about like what a lot of people do is that we get an idea of what our stuff is what our thing is and if something is in front of us that isn't our stuff or our niche then we think that we're good that we don't have to because that's not our thing that's not our thing and this actually was we, we talked about this in the bible study this morning and you know, that's really the what the parable of the good samaritan is about right so there was this jew who was hurt and needed help and his fellow jews the the priests and levites passed him by and they're people who actually it was their job it was their gig to help people in need and they wouldn't, you know, they weren't at the temple. So they're not going to stop and help somebody on the side of the road. The Samaritan, who the Jews thought were scum, he was on a business trip. And he sees him and he stops and he takes care of him and funds his needs, right? Funds his care. And he tells the innkeeper, you know, I'm going to, you know, take care of him, charge what he needs to my account. And when I come back, you know, if what I've provided isn't enough, then I'll pay it, right? That's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's not like, oh, well, sorry, but that's not my little, you know, subset of people that I've decided are my thing. The need presented itself and 
somebody was in need. And so they helped. And I think that, um, well, I know that there's a lot more scribes and, you know, Levites and priests that are in, in the story of the Good Samaritan, that good parable of the Good Samaritan than there are actually Good Samaritans. Because it's easy when we think that this is our thing and this is, this is what we do, that we're covered, right? That we don't, we're already doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing and we don't have to worry about anything else. And if, if it's, we're doing it because that's our thing, are we really even doing God's thing at all? Because this is the other thing that has just been a little shocking to me as I've been hearing the stories of, um, you know, these Afghan Christians. I mean, we know that the U.S. government bailed, right? And they're not, the, we are not, as a country, we are not following through on our promise. Um, we promise to help our allies. We're not. We're not doing that. You know, the applications are backed up. SIV applications, humanitarian parole applications, all of those are backed up. And, you know, there is that welcome core that's coming out. But, you know, that's like, hopefully that will be a better solution. And we just pulled out. And then we leave, we, we leave a mess. And then we just think we're done. This is the attitude. Actually, it was somebody on Twitter that was talking about the State of the Union. And somebody had made a comment, like, a criticizing a conservative commentator about bringing up Afghanistan. And I'm thinking, you know what? I mean, he may be hypocritical, but the truth is the truth. We bailed. We bailed. We ran. We left a mess. And we're acting like we have it all taken care of. And this one person said, oh, well, what would you do? Want us to like, just leave a mess like everyone else? I'm thinking, you think it's cleaned up? I mean, do you even know what's going on? How horrific it is? I mean, it's horrible. I, yesterday, I just got, I just got a message from, again, one of our, um, our classmen, Bible study members and his brother-in-law who's still in Afghanistan, um, it was pictures of him beaten, like his head, just like blood all over it, like huge, like blood, just bruises all over the back of his head. And it was his brother-in-law and he had been going to a prayer meeting. Um, and he said it was a Warner church. It was a Warner church. And so I really didn't know quite what he was talking about at first until I had a call with him this morning and he was explaining more about what was going on. But what do they mean by Warner churches? There was this um, man named Warner Grunwald and he was a, a humanitarian worker that worked for, I actually just looked this up today, um, humanitarian worker that worked for a partnership in academics and development, but he was a Christian. And so, you know, he just was one of those people who had a very uh, infectious faith, you know, and he, you know, he wasn't a missionary in that, you know, that wasn't the purpose of the organization, but, you know, he was somebody who lived his faith. And there were a lot of people that um, became believers because of him. And that's what they mean by a Warner church. It's uh, started by people who became a Christian because of Warner Grunwald. And um, so anyway, they were going to this church, this prayer meeting, and there was a checkpoint and they were stopped by, so they had to, you know, they were stopped and searched by Taliban and they looked on his phone 
he had a Bible app on his phone. And so they beat him and they said the, the, the positive about it, the good thing about it was that while they were beating him, they broke his phone. And so they weren't able to see, find the pictures on there because there were a bunch of pictures of, um, you know, people in the fellowship and there were like 20 families in this church. So if it hadn't broken his phone, they would have been able to identify all these Christians. And so anyway, he, um, they actually thought he was the Taliban. They beat him so bad that they thought he was dead. And so they left him and his family came to come and get him. And, you know, they took, uh, they took care of him, but he's recovered enough. He had to escape to, um, another area. And, I, as I was talking to them, you know, I'm, I'm talking to them and, and a lot of them have worked with other organizations like this, um, this other person was, uh, he had worked with this partnership in academics and development. That was one of the NGOs he worked with. He also worked with Morningstar development and, um, there's a, another, family who the, uh, the husband is a nurse and he worked in the Kabul, um, in Kabul in the government hospital there in the urgent care department. His wife was, is a midwife worked for the world health organization. There are people who have like, and somebody else I talked to is used to work with NATO. And you would think that people with, that had worked in like with those sorts of agencies and, um, you know, organizations and having those kind of contacts, you would think that they would have some help and that people that they worked with in these organizations would be helping them get out. They're not. I mean, it's just basically, they just said, sorry, see ya. We can't help you. And that's part of, I think the, um, the trauma of it is the betrayal. It's like, it's not just that we pulled out. It's like that nobody's, everybody thinks they're done. They're just turning and walking away saying we can't. So here's the thing about can't. Can't is you can't be in two places at once. Can't is, you know, you can't have something that's freezing cold and on fire at the same time. There are things that are physically impossible. In terms of this, can't is not a word. It's not physically impossible. It's not impossible to find them options for immigration. It's not impossible to change the processes and procedures. It's not impossible to light a fire under some of these agencies or and businesses that can't even be bothered to get them a recommendation letter. Like one of our families is still waiting after a year and a half for a confirmation letter that they worked on a project from this company, IDS International, still hasn't gotten it. So they're their application hasn't even gotten to com approval yet. I mean, those things are not, those things aren't impossible. Those are possible things. It's not that they can't, it's that they won't. They're not going to because it takes too much work or it's too inconvenient or it's messy or it's frustrating or overwhelming. Yeah. It's all those things, but it's still possible. It's like, it's, you won't. So People just need to be clear about that. Don't say you can't do something when you actually can recognize, at least be honest to yourself that you won't, that you won't do it.
And again, I realize that there are people that need something all over the world. There's people that are in need in the United States. There are people who are in need in, you know, in our own neighborhoods. I understand that. It's just, I think there's a lot of complacency about, you know, it's not my stuff. It's not my problem. Like we all have our stuff that we think is our own stuff that we're doing when really, is it really what God's asking us to do? You know, if he puts somebody right in front of you and you have the ability to help, then maybe you should be, I think the assumption should be that you, you, you probably, since you're there and you're right in front of him, then you're probably up. You know, it's probably up to you to help them, right? And it doesn't necessarily need to be somebody whose profession it is. And so if the default should be we help, and yeah, you do pray about it because we can get involved in things that I've had situations this week, I realized that just because an opportunity presents itself doesn't necessarily mean that that's something that I should, should be getting involved in. We do need to pray about everything that we get into it, but be aware that if there's a need that you can fill and it's there, then the odds are likely that you're probably the one that needs to fill it. So like this, like I personally, this isn't my gig, you know, I don't, again, I don't know anything about immigration. I told them this to begin with. I said, I know nothing about immigration. I, at the time I didn't think I had any contacts, but then as I've just been walking through and asking people questions and, you know, trying to find things out, I realized a lot, I actually had a lot more contacts than I thought I did. Resources have been coming in weird ways. I mean, just crazy ways. I mean, some of them have been out of the blue needle and haystack sort of contacts, but others are people I know that are uh, giving me contacts like the one of my sources for evacuating people from Afghanistan, somebody that I help, helped, uh, worked with and volunteered with on, on an event, you know, a, a few years ago. So you don't know like who your, your contacts are going to be and where those resources are, resources are going to come from. But, you know, I said, I'll, I'll ask questions. You know, I know a lot more about immigration now than I did three months ago. I know a lot more about a lot of things than I did a three, three months ago. But, you know, if you just think you can't and that that's the end of the answer, well, maybe you can't yet, but maybe you could learn how to do it. So I don't know. I just, um, I don't know. The, the other thing that's interesting to me is that things, things that, uh, people that you think would help don't. And people that you think that would have some empathy and compassion for people in need because they personally have, you know, have been needed help in other ways, you think that they would help doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Doesn't necessarily. It, it really doesn't. Just because somebody has been in those similar situations doesn't necessarily mean that they have will have empathy for um, someone else in a similar situation. I've noticed that with people who are um, immigrants themselves. You know, they don't always necessarily have empathy for people that are also trying to immigrate. Like, and I think what it is is that deep down we have this idea that we deserved it, 
right? So somebody, we may have had help up and a handout, but we think we're owed it and that we deserve it. And so if we don't recognize that um, we're in the place where we're at because other people have helped us, then, and we think it's just because of us and we deserved it, then then it, I guess it makes sense that people wouldn't necessarily have compassion or empathy towards other people in similar situations or in, you know, situations where they need somebody to help them out of it. Because like for the Afghans that are at risk, and I'm not just talking about Christians. I mean, I, they're at risk, but anybody who has been, has been working with these um, NGOs or the NATO allies they're, I think I mentioned this last week, they're, they're literally targeted. They're on a risk. They're at risk. This person that was, I just got a, the pictures of his, you know, him beaten. I mean, he can't go back home again. He, he can't go back. His, he had to leave that, his life behind because the Taliban have his number. And again, if I think I mentioned this last week, we left our biometric scanning devices. We left data on all these, these people that worked with us. So they know their names and they, they can track them down. This is what we've done. And if, if they don't have help from the outside, I, I mean, I'm sure that there are some people that maybe are able to manage the maids, but for the most part, they need somebody to help them. They need somebody to help them, you know, get out and get established. I mean, they're not being unreasonable of like wanting to, you know, have a place where they can live and not have their door broken in and, you know, being questioned by police or taken off and, you know, deported just because they're like trying to get, you know, some aid. I mean, one of our church member, you know, one of the church members, um, Afghan church members, you know, his son has leukemia. And uh, I got a message from him on Friday that he can't, you know, they, his son they couldn't hear it and he wasn't here. He took them to the doctor and they said they can't treat him because he's undergoing chemotherapy. And it's just such a bad situation and everything. It's like nobody seems to have any sort of sense of urgency about getting them out. I mean, our, our immigration system is such a mess and it has been for a long time and it has been for a lot of people. But you would think that if you sit there and you make a promise, it's like, we're going to, you know, we will stand by you that you follow through on it. That's, that's what I think. And I don't know. It's just upsetting. It, it's just upsetting to me. And I'm going, it, it's the other thing is, it's really hard to, it's hard to listen to these stories. And see the pictures, you know, and they're sitting there and they're in these, you know, a lot of them are just like renting rooms, you know, and they're charged more because they're 
you know, they're there. So anybody turns them in, you know, they'll be arrested and deported and blacklisted from coming back into Pakistan. And so they're at the mercy of pretty much everybody that they come in contact with. And so they're in these small rooms and, you know, that's a lot of them. They're there. Like they've been in this really cold weather and, you know, I've been teaching the classes. I can see them shivering and, you know, they don't have blankets and all these things. And it's like all these people in need. And then, you know, I'm just coming into church today and, you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday and that's what the focus is. And they have all this, you know, stuff. And I'm thinking all this money and focus on football. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I just feel like, I don't know. It's just hard. It's hard kind of, it's hard hearing the stories and then walking, walking through this. And, um, I don't know. Anyway, those are my thoughts for today, but I'm sorry. I'm on my iPad. Um, there is some good things. So, um, I, <laughs> this is the update. So I think last, last week, I can't remember, but I think last week I, um, shared that, uh, some of, some of my, uh, this little girl that I've been working with, um, I can't say I'm teaching them English. We, we read, we practice English because again, they've been out of school for, um, almost two years now. They can't go to school in Pakistan. And so I've just been like meeting with them two times a week. And, um, she, last week she had asked me, she wanted, she had some items that she wanted to sell because she had this idea for, you know, um, selling these things to help her family make money. And I originally, when I saw the message, I thought it was from her mom, but it was from the 12 year old. So if anybody is in, uh, is in Vancouver and, uh, has a Girl Scout troop, then send me a message because you can be on her, her aunt's, um, welcome core group, this little sponsor group. So we're trying to put together sponsor circles for our sponsor groups for our families. And, um, her aunt is already in Vancouver. Uh, she's a citizen and she is, uh, working on putting together those sponsor groups and, uh, but she, there's two, she has two siblings. So she's going to have to like have enough people in her sponsor circles to be able to get both of her siblings over. And so this little girl is 12 year old. This is one of her aunts. So if you're in Vancouver and you have Girl Scout troop, you really want her in your Girl Scout troop. Cause I, I tell you what you get her there. You guys like cookie sales. You guys will probably be the top sellers. I mean, she is like, she is a ringleader. She she gets after it. So anyway, send me send me a message. But anyway, I was like, oh wow, that's a great idea. And I have been asking people, like I was asking Mark and uh, this other guy Don and the Canadian pastor that's been helping us and other people that I thought might know, and nobody knew. So anyway, I actually prepared for this this time. But there's a, a new channel called um the afghanistan pod project podcast and they have weekly um episodes and they talk about the situation in afghanistan and um you know some of the challenges and helping people get out and this last week they had the founder of this app called a seal 
And I had heard about it before, but I didn't, um, I was kind of wondering actually if it was legit because I read a story about it, but I hadn't seen a lot of news about it. So anyway, they had the founder of this, um, a seal on the, of the podcast last week. And, um, he was just talking about what it was that they, they do. So it's basically kind of like an Etsy for Afghans. So, um, women have been pretty much banned from being in public. And, um, so the women that used to like sell in marketplaces and things, they can't do that anymore. And so they have these shops that you can open online and you can order from these, these artisans in Afghanistan and they will, um, you can get it shipped over to you. And the flip side of it is, so there's um, buy good and do good. And on the flip side is you can also donate. So you can buy packages like food for a month for a family of eight. Um, and they will, you can buy it and they will go and deliver it to that family. So it can either be a family that you know specifically, or it can also be, you can just say, you know, donate wherever there's a need. You also like, if you don't like, oh, I can't afford to buy an entire package. You can just say, you can donate a little bit and they'll pool it with other people's money. And so they have food, they have, um, a package that is, you can buy fuel for like three months, um, for a family. And if you don't know, it's like severely, it's one of the worst winters in a long time. I mean, people have died of cold. I mean, there's like tens of thousands, you know, livestock that have died. And so they have that. They also have like a emergency shelter package, which is like a tent and, you know, things like that. So they have different packages that you can, you can buy and send to people. Um, and then, so anyway, so I was like, oh, wow, cool. You know, so it actually isn't a legit app. So I followed them on Twitter and somebody from the, um, from the app sent me a message. So they must just be doing that if you follow them. And they were just asking, you know, if it could help support, you know, the people there in Afghanistan and, you know, also promote the app. And so I sent a message back and I said, well, you mentioned in your podcast that the people, um, that you were planning on expanding to other countries and they said, yes, they were actually starting, um, in Turkey. So if you want to help people in Turkey, that's, uh, you can also help them through that at seal app. But, um, I said, I have Afghan friends that are in Pakistan. Would they be able to do that? And they said, yes. So I sent this information to our people. And I asked them if, um, you know, if they wanted to set it up and, you know, help them promote their stores. But anyway, so that was a cool thing. So the, the whole thing about sending people, you know, getting things shipped, we actually have an option for that. So that was really cool. So that just happened this last week. And so in the morning, this happened on Wednesday morning. And so I went in and to uh, the nest here in Kingwood. And uh, I think I've mentioned it before. And because I've been telling them like the story about what's going on. And uh, they said, as I was sharing the story, there was this other lady that was there. And so I'm kind of telling her the backstory. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm just telling her why I was looking for it. Because this little girl that I've been trying to, you know, helping with English that she was, uh, she had wanted to sell some things. And I said, I'm also looking for, you know, other people that will 
teach them and spend some time with them. And she said, oh, well, my daughter works at the local Montessori school. And she gave me the name of the director of that school. And so I talked to her a little bit this last week. So I'm really hoping that those two things, the, um, the, you know, getting them the option to be able to uh, sell things and have a little bit of income and also getting more people to be able to help them and work with them. And um, I'm hoping that that will, that will, those are two things will be uh, coming to a resolution. So anyway, so that's a good thing. It's just so much stuff that happens in a week. It's hard for me to remember it all. I guess I'm just trying to find a good way to keep all the information together. Like need to track, you know, who has, who has applications out where? And I'm trying to, I'm starting to get, I, I asked them if they could like tell me what it is that they want, would like to do, you know, like when they immigrate somewhere and that, that can kind of help me, you know, find out who is the best to plug them in with. So I'm working on that too, but, um, if you want to be praying for this, we really need, I really need a contact with the UN because, um, honestly, I can't remember how much I've, I've explained, but it, I spent pretty much all of December just trying to get them set up with visas just to stay in Pakistan because it's really dangerous for them even to be out. There's checkpoints all over in Pakistan. And if they don't have valid visas, they can be um, arrested and imprisoned for up to three years, fined $400. And then after they serve the prison term, they'll be deported and they'll be blacklisted from coming back to Pakistan. So it's basically, Pakistan is the main place where people are coming to, like if you follow any of the evacuation groups, most of the time they, they take them out to Pakistan and then hopefully move them out to other places. And so if they can't come to Pakistan, this is an avenue you know, this is an avenue shut for them to be able to immigrate somewhere else. And they are not, uh, a lot of them had applied for renewals of their visas that they had, but Pakistan isn't processing them unless if you pay expediting fees. I mean, it's just so extortionate. It's just crazy. And so it took us, like, it took a while to even figure out like how do we even help them so that's the first thing how do we get money there and then even finding anybody who would um help guarantee that they would process those visas because one of the um one of the people was a, came on a student visa he's a dentist and he uh if he had just he had tried to get a his a new visa or renewed or something a few months ago he paid $200 and the guy didn't do it. And so that money was lost. And the deal was with um, Pakistan, they had a deadline of December 31st, that if they exited by that, that time, that they would waive the fees. Because it's the other thing. If they, if they go, if they go in to renew the visa and they have an expired visa, they have to pay the, this daily fine for overstaying the visa. And so like the, the dentist who had um, been overstaying his visa, it would have been like $2,000, just crazy amount. So anyway, so they had to file exit permits, which they also have to pay for. So they have to pay to have a visa to stay and they have to even pay to leave the country with an exit permit that had to be filed by December 31st. 
they had to leave within 15 days of those accept permits being filed and they have to wait. We still have people waiting in Afghanistan for those visas to be processed to come back. So that was this huge thing, huge expense, huge headache. But if they had their UN HCR refugee designation, we wouldn't have to do that. We wouldn't have had to do this. They would have been fine where they're at. So everybody has applications in, but they're not being processed. So I need a contact that can help me um, help get that expedited. And the other thing is we have two families that already have the, those refugee designations because they were there before the 2021. And they've just been sitting there because the resettlement office in Pakistan is not resettling people. And they they have been told they can't even ask be asked to resettle. And they have to have a referral. Somebody from outside the country has to ask for them to be relocated. So those two families both have family in Australia and they need a referral to be able to get into that. So we need visas, or no, not visas. What I really want is their refugee certification. So we don't have to worry about visas for everybody. And also I need to, we need to get those two families into the process. So that's why I need UN contact. And, um, also, we just need funding for everything. And we have uh, Mark's friend, Don, has a ministry. And he has orphanages and everything all over the world. And he's been friends with Mark for a long time. And so he's been very helpful in, um, he's basically sending out a lot of the, the money that Mark has don donated. But he, I've talked to him and he said that he would receive donations through his ministry and that then he would send it to where it's needed. So, um, anyway, so that's, that's a good thing. Cause that was another thing. Like, how do we, if people want to donate, like, how do we, how do we do that? So, um, if you want to help my particular group of people, you can donate at um, Donshire ministries.org and just in the notes, put raise to walk. And then we're going to start, um, we have, passports that we need to get for people. Uh, if we have to get visas, that's going to be a whole another big expense. Um, also the other thing too, is that we had, um, we did one of the things that we did in December is we got birth certificates for the babies, but looking at some of the people's documents, um, like one person, his, his last name, he has a, a very common last name in Afghanistan, but it's a last name that has, I think like three or four different spellings. And his children's uh, last name on their passports is spelled differently than his last name. And I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm thinking I'm pretty positive that might cause a problem with immigration because the last names aren't spelled the same. And I said, I think you probably need to have birth certificates so you can get, you can, you know, verify that you are, you are the father of these children. So we need to get that. But then as we were talking, um, I'm just thinking that we should probably just make sure everybody has a copy of their birth certificate and we can do, get that at the Afghanistan embassy in Islamabad for $20. So, I mean, it's only $20, but we have a lot of people. So we need to work on that too. And we have people that we need to get uh, evacuated out of Afghanistan. So we have a lot of stuff that we're doing, but anyway, that's an update. So there's good things. And I just need to remember that, um, you know, God's going to be, bring the people that are going to help. And, um, 
the right resources and to not get, um, you know, if people don't want to help, just to let it go. Just to let it go. The right people will come. So anyway, but I wanted to, I want to share about that, um, that man, Warner, Warner that um, they had mentioned is one of the people in, in one of the church groups I'm connected with actually worked with him. Um, and so this is a story of him. He's actually a, from South America, South Africa, and he worked for that, uh, humanitarian organization. Um, and he was actually murdered by the Taliban in 2014. They attacked the office, the NGO office, and it killed him and two of his children as well as a number of other people there. And they, the attack came because they said it, they thought it was some secret missionary group. And, um, you know, the NGO wasn't a Christian organization, it, they were, but he was a Christian. And I mean, I think that should be a reminder of, to us. I mean, we shouldn't be secret Christians. You know, that's, that's kind of the whole point. It's like when Jesus said, you are my witnesses, it's not about us telling, but about us being the product demonstration of what the Holy Spirit does within us when, you know, so it shouldn't be a secret, right? And he, he wasn't a secret. And like I said, they had all of these, um, all of these people who came to faith because of his, because of the, because of him, because of the witness of his life. I mean, so much so that there are Warner churches, Warner churches. But reading that um, article, there was a quote on there that I thought was really great. This was a, a qu quote that he had posted on his um, LinkedIn profile um, before he died. And he said, I am a change agent. Wherever I can, I try to influence positive change. I find great peace in the knowledge that I have contributed to someone else's advancement in life. That was his philosophy. He was only 46 when he died, but he made a big impact. I think that's something that we should all be thinking about, right? So how are we going to be remembered? And um, also like when we see Jesus face to face and we say, this is what I did. This is what you gave me. This is what I did with it. What are we going to have to, what are we going to have to show for ourselves? And again, I'm not talking about, you know, earning salvation or anything, but I think, you know, if Jesus gave his life for us. We should, we should be able to appreciate it. And, um, there should be fruit from it beyond just our own little circle, right? Beyond, beyond our four walls, be, beyond our little comfort group. Um, we should have a little bit of influence beyond that. So anyway, those are my thoughts for a Sunday afternoon. I have to go. I have a couple of errands I have to be back here at four so. Anyway, hope you guys have a great week. See what uh, see what happens in the next seven days because it seems like there's always a lot. So, anyway, talk to you later.